Scripture comes from Hosea, the 13th chapter, beginning in the 7th verse. So I will become like a lion to them, like a leopard I will lurk beside the road. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs, and I will tear open the covering of their hearts. I will devour them like a lion, as a wild animal would eat them. I will destroy you, Israel, for you didn't realize that I could help you. Where is your king now so that he can save you? Where in all your cities are your judges of whom you said, Give me a king and rulers? I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. Ephraim's wickedness is bound up. His sin is kept in store. The pangs of a woman in childbirth come for him, but he is not aware of the time to be born. For at the proper time, he doesn't present himself at the mouth of the womb. Will I ransom them from the power of the grave? Will I redeem them from death's hold? Death, where are your diseases? Grave, where is your destruction? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Although he may flourish among rushes, the east wind will come, the breath of God rising from the wilderness, and his spring will dry up. His fountain will be dried up. It will strip his household of every cherished possession. Samaria will be desolate because she has rebelled against her God. By the sword they will fall. Their babies will be dashed and their pregnant women ripped open. I know when it comes to the word of God sometimes that we struggle with it. It is hard for us to read a scripture passage like this and say the word of God for the people of God. And for us to say thanks be to God because this is a disturbing passage. That's the basis of our sermon series for the past few weeks, our worship series. It has been on those troubling themes in the Old Testament. The ones that make us stop and think because they don't necessarily make sense to us as modern people. We began by attempting to try to understand the stories of genocide in the Old Testament. We discovered that the English translation misses the mark. God demanded harem, or religious purity, from the people and the land. The conflict was over idols and idol worship, and those who were idol worshippers themselves. It was not about ethnic cleansing when God commanded them to take the land. It was about bringing religious purity to the land. That way, in their relationship with God, they were able to keep a faithful covenant. They had to purge the land of idols and the idol worshippers. Last week we tackled the issue of exclusivity in the Old Testament. The idea, you are my people, I shall be your God. That exclusive covenant between God and Israel and how that covenant looks to many to be so exclusive that it cannot include anyone else. And yet what we have discovered is, is that the inclusiveness of God comes through this exclusive covenant. The exclusive covenant between God and Israel was intended to be an inclusive blessing to all the world. If Israel lived faithfully in the covenant, then the world would be blessed by it. Now this week we're going to try to survey the issue of condemnation, or as we see it, blessing and cursing of Israel. I believe that those of us who claim the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior believe that we are no longer under the effect of sin and death. 
We are no longer condemned by our sin to eternal death. If Christ is our Savior, the cause of our salvation, then the effect is life now and life eternal. Furthermore, the power of this should have its own cause, an own set of causes and effects in our life. Namely, that we become ones who announce the salvation of God that is for all, so that we might see the kingdom of God come now. Which means this requires something from each one of us. Most of you know that, that Margaret and I, we, we like to watch a little bit of TV. I've told you that before. We, we like in particular to watch Netflix. And Netflix has some pretty good shows on it, entertaining kinds of shows. One of the best things about Netflix is it has no commercials. And that's what's even better, not having to watch commercials, right? We recently discovered a short British series, short as in length, not short as in stature, by the way, you know. But, but a short uh, British series titled Dr. Foster. Now, the, the series is about a married couple. The husband's name is Simon, and Simon is an entrepreneur. Simon has great ideas, but Simon is really bad at executing a business plan. He's not a real good business person. His businesses just continue to lose money. It goes through him like a sieve. The wife, Gemma, is the doctor one for whom the series is named, Dr. Foster. And Gemma and Simon have a son, Tom. Tom is in his middle teens. Now, Gemma discovers that Simon had been having an affair. This is a couple that's in their early 40s, right? And now he, she has discovered that he has been having an affair. And it's not just an affair. It's an affair with a young woman, a 20-year-old, who happens to be the daughter of his silent investor. Gemma discovers that Simon has also leveraged all of their savings and the inheritance that she received when her parents passed away. He was nearing bankruptcy, actually, at one point until he gained a new silent investor. Gemma and Simon, as you would suspect, divorce in the storyline. And Simon begins to start a new life with this younger woman whom he was having an affair. And the two of them have a child, a little girl. In the storyline of, of this series, Gemma goes on a mission. And her mission is to hurt Simon in the way that he hurt her. Simon, likewise, is determined to get back at Gemma for all the trouble that she caused him along the way. And unfortunately, in their war, their son Tom becomes a pawn between the two of them. It's a toss back and forth as the series chronicles the battles between the two of them. About the time Gemma thinks she has Simon where she wants him, he figures out how to counter her. And for half a dozen episodes or so, it's all-out war between the two of them. Katie bar the door, regardless of who the casualties of their conflict might be. Finally, though, Gemma figures out how to break Simon and break his new life. In it, he loses his job. He loses his financial backing. He's, his new wife leaves him with their daughter and tells him that he'll never see the two of them again. His son doesn't want to see him, and Simon is ready to end his own life. He is at 
the breaking point. Gemma, as a doctor, of course, can give him the means to end his own life through a concoction of drugs that she carries in her little medical bag. She sets him all up, and he's prepared to do it, to end his own life, but then she walks in, and she talks him out of taking his life and tells him to do it for the sake of their son. Simon agrees. Now, just when you think that all is settled, and this little series, this short little ten-episode series, is going to wrap up in a nice, neat little bow, which is the way we think of things and how we like it, the story unravels at the very end when Gemma goes outside and discovers that Tom has run away. Tom has become a casualty of their conflict, could not handle it anymore. And Tom, runs away. Think of Newton's third law of motion. It states that for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. If you take a rubber band and you stretch it, you pull it and you let it go, there is an equal reaction. Stretch creates tension. When you re- The reaction in response is, is for that tension to collapse and it creates motion in doing so. Cause and effect. For Gemma and Simon, they created tension and an equal forceful reaction happened as well. They created cause and then suffered the effects of it. They condemned themselves through their hate and their tumultuous affair and the way they interacted with one another. If you look up the definition of the word condemnation, you will discover that it means the expression of very strong disapproval or censure. It also means the action of condemning someone to a punishment, sentencing. You think about a judge who sentenced someone, right? This couple, Gemma and Simon, sentenced themselves by their actions. Now think with me that how two people or groups of people can get to the point that they can strongly disapprove of each other and then even get to the point that they begin condemning each other. Does that sound familiar to you? You thinking maybe as, as well as I am about politics today and our rhetoric that we use between our two political parties and how we describe one another, right? Republicans are deplorable. They're alt-right crazy fascists who are homophobic, xenophobic, bigots, racist, sexist, right? You've heard the list. You can probably name some of those things as well. On the opposite, of course, are Democrats who are socialist libtards, who want to have open borders, free social programs for everyone, who care more for animals than human life and want to tax everyone, but especially the wealthy, to support their social ideas. You You've heard that list as well. The ways in which we bless and curse one another, especially the ways in which we curse and condemn one another and the lack of civility that comes from it. We condemn one another in our world. Think about that, though, on a more personal level with me for just a moment as well. I wonder if there's a situation where you are suffering under condemnation in your life. It might be a relationship that you have or or have had and, and the results are so devastating that you are still feeling the constant cursing, the, the condemnation of the other person. To think that someone could despise you, 
to that point that they condemn you. I think the more insidious, though, of these is the self-speak, how we talk to ourselves about things that we are bad at or things that are bad in our lives, right? We tell ourselves, I'm not pretty or handsome enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not worthy of being loved. We have the power to condemn ourselves. And I think that's the worst part of this, is how we talk to and how we condemn ourselves. If you think with me for just a moment about the story of ancient Israel as it's portrayed in the Old Testament, you know, when we read prophetic passages, we can read some that have divine blessing and the images of divine cursing in them. Some of them are really vivid, and they are horrific in their description, like the one that we just read today, which does not make sense to many of us progressive modern people because we believe we are beyond many of these things. How can this be the faithful scriptures of God in a modern, postmodern, progressive world in which we live? As with all the ancient writings in the Hebrew Bible, Hosea is influenced by the central theology of Israel. Right? The book of Hosea reminds us that God has chosen Israel as a covenant people. It is an exclusive covenant. You shall be my people, I shall be your God. But it is a covenant that through which and in the maintenance of it, blessing could come to the rest of the world. That was the idea, the thought behind God establishing this covenant. God's simple requirement, as we spoke earlier and said earlier, was haram for the people to have religious purity in order to maintain this covenant. That the covenant people were not to intermarry with those who were idol worshippers and practiced idol worship. And the covenant was the covenant people were also to be ones who made sure that they had no idols themselves. Right? If the covenant people could abide by the covenant restrictions, then they would be a blessing and the world would be blessed. There would be a cause and effect for good. If the covenant people broke the covenant restrictions, then they would be cursed and there would be a cause and effect of evil in the world. Now, Hosea, as an exilic prophecy, speaks to the covenant people who have already experienced devastation. The condemnation of being a lesser state and power in a time of vast empires and wars. They could not perceive or conceive a way of being able to thwart the empires that were at their doors. They simply succumbed to them but they perceived their circumstances as divine punishment for not fully practicing harem. They have received the just reaction to their actions, and they have been sentenced for being unfaithful to God and to the covenant. And so they struggle. They struggle with their identity. They struggle with trying to figure out how to get back into covenant relationship with God. They struggle with the idea of redemption, even though... Exile is where they are. And even though a couple thousand years have passed since the time of Israel's exile, we who believe in God and try to follow God may also feel like our relationship with God is predicated on that idea of blessing and cursing. For some of us, it's mostly blessing. For others of us, it's mostly cursing and condemnation. We feel like we may 
fall in and out of love and favor with God. And sometimes we're rewarded for being faithful, and at other times we are being condemned or cursed because we've done something that we would classify as sin or unfaithful. The Apostle Paul, in his introductory letter to the Church of Rome, wrote these words. In the Common English Bible, it reads, So now there isn't any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? For now there is not any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Eugene Peterson, the, the one who wrote the paraphrase, the message, he, he puts things a little bit differently, and here's how the message says these words from Paul. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that faithful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-flying black cloud. What an image, right? A low-flying black cloud. Franklin, the one that had the the low-flying black, or Pigpen, who had the low-flying black cloud that was always over him in the Charles Schultz Peanuts cartoons, right? He goes on to say, a new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. You see, the prophet Hosea did not solely write about the condemnation of God upon the people. Yes, Hosea wrote about the cause and the effect of being unfaithful, but he also wrote about the invitation of God to repent. If the people would repent, God would respond. And that same idea carries forth in Paul's writings. People who are responding to God's gift of sacrificial love in Jesus Christ are no longer condemned to live under the oppressive weight of sin and death. Rather, we are freed. We are freed to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Freed to live in mercy so that we might be merciful. Freed to live in love so that we might be loving. Freed to live in justice so that we might be just. Freed to live in peace. Peace with God and one another so that we might be peacemakers in this world. Do you get that, beloved? Do you see that? Are you experiencing that? Are you experiencing a life that is free to make a difference in this world now? To create our own opportunities of cause and effect for goodness? Do you see that? Are you living that? I want to tell you a short story about a woman who realized her freedom in Christ and lived into the power of that, the cause and the effect of this on her life and others. Her name was Josephine Butler. She was born in England during the Victorian era of the early 1800s. It was a time when women managed the private sphere of home and children, and men dominated the public sphere of business, society, and politics. And neither of those entities crossed into the other's world. Men did not cross into the private sphere Women were not supposed to cross into the public sphere. But Josephine Baker uh, Butler was not raised to be inferior to a man. Rather, her father had always treated her as an equal, and so did her husband. Now, this was an important factor in what would become her very public battle 
with a corrupt element of Victorian society in which she lived. But another thing happened to her as well that propelled her into her cause. It was a personal tragedy that she endured. She had a daughter who tragically died after falling off a banister while playing with her brothers. And in her pain and in her grief, she eventually wrote these words. She said, I must find some pain keener than my own to meet with people more unhappy than myself. My sole wish was to plunge into the heart of some human misery and to say to afflicted people, I understand. I too have suffered the causes and the effects of life. So she took on the purveyors of the sex trade and the sex slave industry of Victorian England. A well-dressed, prim, proper lady of middle-class Victorian society, she began visiting brothels and she began challenging their owners regarding prostitution and sex trade in her homeland. She challenged laws such as the Contagious Diseases Act that had been passed by Parliament in England the law forced prostitutes to sign a register that forever publicly linked them to the sex trade. And by making them sign the register, it made it nearly impossible for them to ever escape prostitution. Butler was able to sustain a long and arduous campaign against Parliament, eventually forcing a repeal of the Contagious Diseases Act. But she didn't stop there. She also lobbied Parliament heavily and won the passage of a law that increased the age of consent to 16, when previously they had no age of consent. And she was also able to see new laws enacted that protected English girls from being kidnapped and forced into prostitution. But she didn't stop in just England. She also took her message and her approach, her ministry, to other places in the world, advocating for women's rights in Paris, France, and Geneva, Switzerland as well. She stepped into the dark hell of white women's slavery of her day because she too had suffered. And she believed that through Jesus, suffering could end, condemnation could end, sentencing to the life of the sex slave trade could Every single one of us who claim the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior, we've been liberated from the sentence of suffering and eternal death. We've been liberated for the purpose of making Christ's love known in the world, the cause of our salvation, the effect to bring salvation to the world. The question we have to ask and wrestle with is this. Where would God have each of us to go? And would you be willing to do so? Because the great cause and effect of God's love is not only for our individual liberation, but now it gives us the opportunity to be advocates for justice and liberation for others. God invites us to participate in the divine act of love for the simple cause and effect of salvation in the world. Friends, we are no longer under the condemnation of our sin. Why should anyone else have to have to live under that condemnation when God is calling us to advocate 
for their liberation. So here's what I believe God is asking of each of us today. This is what I believe is required of us. First of all, for, for some of us to hear that we are no longer under the condemnation of sin and death. That may be the power of today's message in and of itself for us, for some of us, to hear that we are no longer under the condemnation of sin and death. If there is a story of condemnation that is floating around in your head, maybe today is the day of liberation because you can lay it down at the throne of God. It's not your burden. It's not your fight anymore. Or if you're feeling the condemnation of another person, maybe it's time to make an attempt to amend the situation and then lay it down because you can only do your part to mend what is broken. Or maybe for some of us to hear this invitation, to be an advocate, to be the cause for salvation so that others might feel its effect. To be the ones who announce to others that God's salvation is here, that condemnation to sin and death does not have to be their reality anymore. That life and life eternal is God's good gift for all. The cause and the effect of salvation. Will we heed that call today? Will we be the cause for God's good effect? Will you bow in prayer with me? Eternal and merciful God, we thank you for this day. For the time that we have to spend hearing and listening to your word. To understand that you have invited us to be ones who live in the liberty of your love and your grace. For we are ones who are no longer under the condemnation of our sin and the death. Lord, help us to respond now. To see that you want to use us as the cause for great effect in this world. To be ones who take that message of liberation to others. Who announce that salvation has come to the world. And that it is in you the one who can liberate each and every one of us from sin and death. Lord, use us as your people to take this great message to the world. May we be the ones who have a cause and effect for good. And we ask this in Christ. Amen.